This is Jason Sizemore of Apex Publications, and you're listening to the Cromcast. Crom. Swirling the ice. Yeah. It's time. You ready out there in Nebraska? Yeah. Ready in Kentucky? We are. In five, four, three, two. Welcome back, everybody, to the Savage Cromcast. Season six, episode one. Ill Met in Lankmar. I'm Josh. I'm Luke. I'm Jonathan. And we are three members of the Thieves Guild who have dropped out away from the Thieves Guild and are operating independently, robbing from the rich. Given to the poor, buying bourbon with some of the leftovers. <laughs> Getting some jugs of wine. That's right. And we're the Cromcast. Hanging out on Cheap Street. Yep. Uh, cheap and cash, right? <laughs> yes. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a little bit, but here we are digging into some Fritz Leiber and right. Fofford and the Gray Mouser. The Gray Mouser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one and only. Right. challenges you with his eyes like say go ahead and say it that's my name uh you're the gray mouser <laughs> and you say wrong <laughs> the gray mouser and then you stab me the wolverine the, wol- <laughs> the wolverine the ohio state all of these things are the- no no not them i won't use it <laughs> anyhow we we are in con- ohio state <laughs> Yeah. One of several. <laughs> anyway, we're, com- that Buckeyes. we're coming off the heels of Cromtober. Luckily, uh, I think I think in the Cromtober chronology, we're trapped in some other alternate corn dimension. Is where we left things <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah, we left it. We're we're trapped. We're trapped there. We uh, we've we've wrapped we up my bathroom. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and I think it's just me and Luke. I don't think you escaped with us. We're, you're lost I mean, in time to dude. escape your own bathroom, right? Well, we'll figure it out next year. <laughs> <laughs> so we left that. We left the. We left John's bathroom far behind. We uh, were at some sort of interlude in the the bourbons and the barbarians. We are uh, moving in here to the the sixth season of the Chromecast. I think. I think Josh. Before we started recording, you were at like what episode one hundred three ish or something. This is episode one hundred three. That's the current official Chrom count. For the Cromcast. Yeah. We're, uh, the winds are changing. We're bringing in that's a new what, season. Yeah, that's what we're trying to say. The winds of change are blowing. That's right. And it's blowing in some smoky air and so, soot. The the season's kicking in. It's it's a bit dormant out there. It's a little bit cold out on the, the salty plains around <laughs> the the city of Lankmar. What is it? The, the city of seven score thousand smokes. The city of the Black Toga. The Black Toga. This is a, this is a, this is a scary place. It's not a nice place. That's what we're learning in this story. But uh, before we get into the story, let's talk about some upfront business. John, what you drinking? Sticking with a classic, Wild Turkey 101. Nice. What How about you yourselves? Uh, I borrowed, and by borrowed, I mean stole some of your old Overholt straight rye whiskey. Um, and that's coming on the tails of a pint of Guinness. Nice. That's right. So we got some, uh, some, some old school... 
80 proof rye whiskey here. I'm doing a little old fashioned with that. We're, uh, that's what we're getting into. <laughs> Somebody I work with just got back from Ireland and she was telling me all about her trip and it made me very nostalgic for when I visited and also for Smittix. So I bought a six pack of that the other day and drank it. Nice. Yeah. I don't think I've had Smittix since the Ireland trip. It's different because you get it right out of the teat, the proverbial beer teat over there, right? Right. And over here, it's imported. Yeah, and Guinness is much, much better. I don't, I don't know if it's just an illusion, but it's my memory <laughs> that Guinness is better in Dublin. I would agree with that assessment. So, one hello, of, Irish listeners <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, top of the morning to you. <laughs> so, so on the on the tip of like cream ales and that kind of thing. Uh, one of my buddies who's who's from from New York, uh, he's he's gotten on the kick of there's a, a brewery called Genesee, and they have like a, a cream ale that he's a he's a pretty big fan of. Did you have one of those the other night, Josh? I did not. No. Nope. Uh, but but if you're looking for for a nice tasty cream ale, that would be a good one. Hmm. Genesee. 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 You cream put ale. some Hennessy in there? Yeah. <laughs> on your way to Tennessee. No. We don't talk about that. Okay. Keep going. we're back guys yep (laughs) well let us not uh we can't dilly when we got a dally yeah we gotta get right into the one thing one day john you were really rocking there I was doing the Snoopy dance. <laughs> you were, you were headbanging. I mean, you know how he, he like he does. That's that's yeah. my dance. Two that's to my the go-to. Two to the I left. Use it at weddings, big hit. Always love it. Yep. <laughs> two to the left. Two to the right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you have a one thing. I do have a one thing. Uh, I recently went to the state of Colorado again. Hello, Colorado listeners, if you're out there. It's a good state, nice and square, lots of peaks and valleys. <laughs> And while we were there, I was at a conference, and my my family came out to visit me and after the meeting, and we took a family trip, and it was sort of our first big not going back to the home state of Indiana trip as a family, and we went to a national park, which has been a life goal to take my, my daughter to a national park, and so we went to Rocky Mountain National Park. If you've never been there, you should definitely go. You drive up through this town called Estes Park, and just to paint the scene a little bit, we drive into town. There's snow all over the ground. Very winter feel, even though it's November. And as we pull into town, they're putting the twinkle lights up for Christmas. There's like happy people in coats on the street. The sun is shining. The sky is blue. I was like, I want to live here. This is amazing. I'm going to move here and buy the movie theater. And I'm going to be the guy with the beard that runs the movie theater. This is our new life plan, life. And you drive through there. And then you get to the park. And it's just really pretty. And amazing I, the rocky mountains are obviously amazing so i picked picked my daughter up and held her to the sky like mustafa or simba which one gets rafiki simba yeah rafiki holds like simba. rafiki does and i was like look at the bounty of nature that is all around you you must preserve this and she nodded her head in agreement mm-hmm. i'll pretend so you, that's you, my one thing you were the war uh the the lorax and she was uh an eager learner sure yeah, we'll go with that. She was a barber loop. <laughs> she was a Hoovian. <laughs> <Or, or laughs> that's that's different. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm mixing my 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 Sousa verses here. <laughs> the Hoovian from Whoville. 
<laughs> yeah, that's I would love to go to Colorado and visit the Rocky Mountains. I, I my father in law goes to Colorado annually, and I think if he could live out there full time, he would. Bonus one thing also went to Mile High Comics there. It's the world's largest comic store. They have like one and a half million tons of comics. Wow. There's a lot to dig through. So shout out to them. What did you dig? Uh, I actually found a few things. I filled in some holes on my Spectre run. Oh. And Eternals. I filled that in. Like, nice. Like what? Like what? Eternals. Like what's the the years of those? Like the new. Oh, the, the, the OG Jack Kirby one. So okay. I think that's like 77, 76. Damn, son. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Everything was 50% off. Oh, it's even better. Be lucky, yeah. Sidetrack. How is your Marvel two in one run? I'm missing one issue, and then it will be complete. (laughs) Are you serious? I am. I am serious. Do you know? I need annual number two. It's a hard to find one because it's one of the first appearances of Thanos, so it's kind of hot right now. Oh yeah. You know what with him in the movies and such. So I'm not willing to pay like ninety dollars to some eBayer for a, a whooped up on copy. Is that what it goes for? Uh, it can, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to find uh, a cheaper one. Damn. The, so otherwise, you've got all of the Marvel two in ones. I will have all the Marvel two in one then. Dude, your cred. Uh. It just like you leveled up. Yeah. <laughs> Grandmaster. I've got, there's a local book bindery that does comics. I'm gonna get them bound when I get done. Nice. Look real nice. So I've got three things. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, I think we should turn Marvel two in one. I'm jotting these down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my one thing. So in the uh, what am I trying to say? Like in the in the spirit of the season uh, of the season, <laughs> the, six, thanks, the, the Thanksgiving uh, season, yeah, in, the, in the spirit <laughs> of the holidays, the the, the Lankmore holidays. I don't even know what the hell they celebrate in Lankmore. Maybe we'll find that out. Emphysema Day, probably. It's like <clears throat> lung uh, disease awareness day. It's like, holy shit, I thought I had like six pins in my pocket and now I have two. What happened? <laughs> Somebody took it, I guess. I guess that's a, a thing. That's um, really funny in Linkmar. <laughs> it's a better joke there. <laughs> it's, it's not such a good joke here <laughs> in the real world, but in Nowheresville or Erewhon or whatever, it's a big thing. Uh, okay, so so my one thing <laughs> is uh, Joe Abercrombie's collection, Sharp Ends, which is his first short story collection. I'm a big Joe Abercrombie fan i got a big crush on him he's a cool dude he writes all kinds of good stuff this is his first collection of miscellaneous short stories i think some of these have showed up elsewhere you know one of them's a tour.com original for sure uh but like in places such as swords and dark magic which is a jonathan strahan uh anthology that's you know previously been out there there's a variety. Oh, Dangerous Women, which is like a, a George R. R. Martin collection. Uh, there's, there's a whole slew of short stories here. These are cool. These are all really great. If you're a fan of the books of the first law, there's a variety of like uh, prologue and postlogue type stories that set the stage for the for the longer novels. But really, 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 really. And I'm not even all the way through this book so far. But the, the stories that are about uh, Havra... <laughs> the lioness <laughs> and 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 perhaps Shev or Shevadaya, which are basically Fawford and the Grey Mouse are analogs in uh in the Abercrombie verse. They're they're just the bee's knees. They're really just so damned good it hurts. Uh and so at this point I'm about halfway through the collection. 
I will be talking about this more as we go into the season, getting to the the sort of like, you know, dual rogue buddy hero trope that, that's going to unravel here. The big guy, little guy, big gal, small gal kind of trope that we're going to get into. But this is a great book and I'm excited to keep reading it. As it stands right now, it's certainly my 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 biggest one thing of, of one things that I could pull out. Nice. I was at Half Price Books recently, and I, I had uh, the blade itself in my hand, uh, thinking I should grab this while while I'm here. And this guy came by, and he was wearing a uh, like a uh, a hoodie, but like the the hood was kind of big, and so it kind of built, and he had the hood on inside the store, and it billowed around his face. And he said, "You should get that dude that rocks." <laughs> like it like a sage kind of moving into my life and quickly moving away say one thing about the blade itself <laughs> yeah. yeah it's 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 so tough like we'll talk more about grimdark and we'll talk more about abercrombie i'm sure over the course of the season but his writing style is so pulpy and fun while at the same same time being so so honest and visceral and, and dark. Like it, I hate the term grimdark because his stuff really is so fun and has like almost a brimming and bubbling up of like, of like I'm alive. Damn it. Like <laughs> just for the next few minutes before this sword fight ends, I'm alive right now. And I love the way that his stuff sort of plays out. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost happy if it wasn't so damn sad. Have you read anything by Abercrombie, John? I have not. But that sounds enticing. Yeah. I've got the blade itself on my Kindle, which is the reason I didn't pick it up. But I thought, man, I should grab this in hard uh, uh, or, or uh, I guess it was paperback. Yeah. It wasn't hardcover. There's uh, a uh, there's a Havra and Shev story that we're going to read as like a as like a, an extra homework assignment that I'm, I want to I want to assign to you guys here in a few episodes. Side quest. <laughs> yeah. A little side quest because it's, it's an easily accessible uh, story. It's for freezies on, on tour.com and it's so funny and it has like some really cool sword mythology. So we can, we can read that here in a few stories when we get like to some short story, like Fawford gray mouser stuff. Nice. Hey, jo- uh, Josh, what, hey, do you got? what do you got? What do you got? I got one. Uh, okay. I don't know. This is a pretty broad thing, but in doing research on Fritz Leiber, you you tend you you very quickly find okay Liber is famous for his contributions to science fiction. He's famous for his uh, actually his scholarship. He he wrote a lot of essays about science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. Uh, his fandom. He was a regular contributor to uh, the fanzine Amra in the sixties. Um, but more than anything else, you find his Fawford and the Gray Mouser. Um, as his big contribution. Um, maybe if you're a sci-fi fan, you think, well, not really, but, um, from my standpoint, you know, that's, that's kind of the angle that I've been taking my research and, um, given our proclivity for Dungeons and Dragons, it didn't take long for me to, to look into, you know, the influences of sword and sorcery on RPGs, especially Dungeons and Dragons. And, I can't remember where I found a reference to Appendix N, mm-hmm. but something made me go pull out my first edition Dungeons Master, Dungeon Master's Guide and turn to page 224, which is where Appendix N is. And this is um, inspirational reading to sort of 
you know, it's from their standpoint. So it's through the lens of Gygax. And this is what inspires them to role play in fantasy settings. And there's this whole list. I posted a, an image on the Facebook page and I'll, I'll make sure that it's in the show notes here as well. And so obviously Robert E. Howard's Conan series is there uh, along with Liber's uh, Fofford and the Grey Mouser. We also have H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Michael Moorcock's uh, Stormbringer. So the Elric stories, Tolkien, as you would expect. Um, but we have some other pulpy guys as well. Um, Manly Wade Wellman. We have Elsprague DeCamp. Let's see, Lynn Carter, Edgar Rice Burroughs. There, there's a, this list is kind of a, a class syllabus almost in terms of fantasy stories and, and building a solid foundation in uh, pulpy and literary fantasy. And so that's my one thing. I, I, I guess Appendix N is now a to, to read list. For me, because there are some pretty big holes there that I had I had not read anything by Paul Anderson. Right, right. right. And so, Luke, you just handed me a Wikipedia entry on Dave Arneson. So, he, was he the the co-author on that Dungeon he's Masters my, he's, guy? He's the uh, he's the other driving force within okay. like that Lake Geneva scene. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah. I think between between Gygax and Arneson, they had like this this sort of reading list. That's it's not whole and entire as far as fantasy it's just what you can really see within the 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 bones of classic dnd adnd right and so uh just looking at the list you know i i felt like i was pretty well versed but looking at the list and thinking about you know what authors i haven't read anything from i've got a lot of reading to do and good so, thing it's winter. Good thing it's winter, and good thing we are discussing Fritz Leiber. Swords uh, and sorceries. Because we're getting back to our roots with uh, some sword and sorcery. Now, yeah. before we get into talking about the story, let's talk about Leiber just for a bit. Before we move on, we've got to let you know that you just heard... One thing. Clumsy, I know, but we've been away from, from this for a little while. Good call, dude. Yeah. You're keeping us on the track. <laughs> so, I mentioned... Liber and uh, Michael Moorcock. And you could make a strong case for Howard, Liber, and Moorcock making up the, the uh, more or less the holy trinity of sword and sorcery uh, with their contributions in terms of uh, Solomon Cain, Conan, Fawford and the Great Mouser, and Elric. In 1961, Moorcock wrote a, uh, a, a, an article or a letter to the fanzine Amra demanding to know what we should refer to this this genre that we love so well as. Uh, and he proposed epic fantasy as the umbrella term, the catch-all term for the Howardian style of um, adventure story, that, that pulpy feel right. with, with some magical elements and a lot of grit and determination in the hero. And so, you know, DeCampian terms also are like what like heroic fantasy heroic you fantasy. see that term get thrown around thrown around within like the the swords against uh um, swords against darkness like mm -hmm. uh, uh, uh flashing swords yeah like all of those like the lynn carter decampian uh like the offit collections that came later but like they they use that term heroic fantasy too sort of interchangeably with what we're talking about here which is so, uh sword and sorcery yeah right yeah. right so uh Later that year, in April, Liber responded 
to Moorcock's uh, proposal in uh, a separate journal called Ancalagon um, and suggested sword and sorcery. Um, and he followed up on this in July of 1961 uh, in Amra. And he said, you know, we should call this this type of story that blends these uh, sorcerous elements with this almost mythic kind of quality, uh, this action adventure story, sword and sorcery. And so not only did Liber create some of the most iconic or co-create, I should say, co-create some of the most iconic sword and sorcery characters uh, of all time. He sort of helped put the label, the lasting label on the genre uh, that we still refer to today. He's also got kind of a cool life story. I was reading through a io9 article and it, uh, it quotes a article written by Ted Gioia. Have you ever heard of him? I nope. haven't. No, mm-hmm. nope. he wrote, he wrote an article about, Liber and talks about uh, Fritz Liber's life story was almost as strange and wondrous as those he concocted for his books. At one point or another in his life, he was a movie actor, chess champion, board game inventor, comic strip writer for the Buck Rogers series, editor of an encyclopedia, a minister, a student of psychology, philosophy, theology. Uh, he was a writing teacher, a Shakespearean stage actor, and an inspector for the aerospace industry, amongst other things. And he lived a really long life, right? Like he lived into his 80s. Yeah. yeah. Did he die in like 92? Is that right? I think so. 92, yeah. 93. Yeah. Um, and so unlike other pulp authors who were publishing in the, the 30s, like Howard and like Lovecraft, he lived a very long life and was able to revisit his creations throughout time. And... So he was able to sort of sort of put these Fofford and the Grey Mouser stories into a larger mythos himself without, you know, these uh, post-mortem uh, collaborations like you see in uh, uh, Howard's work. Yeah, he was able to do his own like uh, like fix ups and and the collections that we that we widely look at today like the the various ace collections like there's a series of interconnections and stories that he put together himself as a way to sort of build the narrative right? that's right and tonight we're going to talk about a story that was published in the 70s but chronologically takes place at the beginning yeah yeah of the the Fofford and the great mouser tales and that is ilmet and langmar yeah now on Robert E. Howard, Liber had some cool words uh, in an essay titled Robert E. Howard's Style. Uh, Liber says he, uh, meaning Howard, he painted in about the broadest strokes imaginable, a mass of glimmering black for the menace, an ice blue cascade for the hero, between them a swath of crimson for battle, passion, blood. And that was the picture, or story rather, except where a vivid detail might chance to spring to life, or through... Uh, or a swift thought arabesque might be added. <laughs> I'm pausing here because I mean, as we're going to talk about uh, within, within this Ilmet and Lake Mars story, Liber has a, has a way with words, right? Like he very much can, can just sort of like wrap you up within, within his writing. And I think that description of, of Howard's writing is very like indicative of Liber style. So, so that, uh, 
that reading that you were pulling from there, Josh? Like, what's that from? We're going to yep. come back to a couple of different books. Yeah. So the season. this is from Wildside Press. Uh, it's titled uh, Fofford and Me Selected Essays. Uh, and these were all written by uh, Fritz Leiber himself. And I think were arranged and edited by Daryl Schweitzer. He wrote the the Mask of the Sorcerer, which is a which is a, a book that I haven't read yet, but it's on my own little appendix and is like a thing to, to, to search out here okay. <laughs> in the in the in the in the future. Nice as a like a, a fantasy book that I haven't yet checked out. But he's a he's a guy that's currently jamming out stuff within the field. Yeah, uh, it's cool because Liber is only one person removed from Howard. He started corresponding with Lovecraft after Howard died in 1936 and not too long before Lovecraft actually passed away himself. But from what I've read, his correspondence with, with Lovecraft, although brief, was pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. So we'll pull from some some of Liber's own critical writing, which I think is a cool thing for this season. Mm-hmm. Where you know, this is the step beyond what we've been able to do with, with some of the, the Howardian material. So so this season hopefully we'll be able to get into a bit more of, of the, the author's critical writing. Yeah, and, and his own views on what he wrote beyond, hey, I sold it for this much money and Yeah. Like more more than just like letters and correspondence, right? Because because as you as you said, Josh, like like Liber himself was was a was a dude within the, the zine scene and was a fan. Like he was actively part of like the same thing that we're doing right here. Like like sort of interacting and talking about the about the genre. And even further than that, um, his Fawford and the Great Mouser cycle and mythos and setting and characters were licensed by TSR. Right. And so he, toward the end of his life was, I think living pretty, I don't want to say large, but comfortably on those royalty checks Un- until, I mean, and that's the kind of thing that we'll get into maybe with our retrospective too, that it seems like he might have been similar to Lovecraft's in like living in, in a, in a situation where he was, was pretty threadbare too. Yeah. Like he, he basically had a couple sources of income relating to this earlier work and he was actively writing and doing things. But at the same time, you know, he was a, a fellow that suffered from addiction and, and, and had a, a, a complicated story too, personally beyond the, you know, the material he wrote. So, so I'm, I'm curious to, to, to get into sort of so, some of the personal aspects of his his later life because honestly i know a a bit about the front end and his his sort of active like uh uh uh, writing and sort of fan activities but i don't necessarily know a whole lot about like how he met his end and that's something that i'm interested to read a bit more about as we get further into the material yeah i think he enjoyed that spartan lifestyle because it afforded him more disposable income to travel with is, is what i've read a couple of different places i don't know yeah. i don't know how true that is but well i know that you sent uh a link to to it to, to me previously that was like a an interview from like the was it from the 70s maybe? it was yeah, yeah it's a uh uh 70s or or 80s um i mean he was quite old at that point and he still had more years yeah. to live and he was waxing on about about uh about about the the fofford and gray mouser stories and so clearly he was making the convention scene and he died shortly after like going to a con. Uh, so, so it was something he was actively engaged in the scene, 
up until the the bitter end. Yeah. John, do you have any other interesting tidbits about Liber before we get into the story? I'm just kind of curious about the addiction thing. Uh, I hadn't read that previously. Can you tell me more about that, Luke? Uh, I mean, he was an alcoholic through and through. Uh, he he struggled with it. I mean, he was a married man. He had, uh, uh, I mean, he was a widow uh, or, or a widower, I guess I should say. Uh, and he remarried like in the last year of his life. But I, I don't know how much that played into it, but he was a man that constantly uh, dealt with with an affinity for the drink and it was a problem for him. And it's something that within that Fawford and me essay, he talks about, uh, like his experiences with addiction and alcohol, like kind of in a pretty cavalier fashion, but he talks about being, being an alcoholic over a span of like nearly two decades, uh, (laughs) kind of in an offhand way, talking about his relationships with, with Fisher, who we'll talk about is the, is the gray mouser here shortly. Yeah. But, you know, he kind of frames it in the, the terms of a story of like John Berryman, who was a famous poet of, of like the American scene, like, like it was all in good fun. And I don't know necessarily how, how dire at any point the, the, the situation was like, I, this is something that I, I don't want to get too far out of like out into the deep water here with the, with these comments, but he was an alcoholic and he had a long and storied popular, you know, uh, uh, sort of, sort of life. Like he was, he, for he was an icon, at least within the genre scene. And he was a a person with an addictive personality. So those are things Mm. we can talk about. Uh, it says, so in this essay, Fofford and me, it's, it's written earlier in his life. He revisited, this essay a dozen years or so after he wrote it and wrote some commentary about it. Right. Right. And it says in hindsight, you know, talking about that essay, uh, he says there were matters I didn't stretch, but rather toned down chiefly my growing Fawfordian consumption of alcohol between 1933 and 1956. Since which time I've been dry for periods ranging from a few days to eight years right now, eight months. So, I think that he actually did kind of participate in Alcoholics Anonymous and yeah. um, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, it sounded like he could go for stretches, uh, you know, without a drink, and then he would have one, and then that would just kind of be the the end of that for a while. Yeah. So anyway, paint some of the scenes in this story a little differently for me. Absolutely. I mean, this is this 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 story that was written in like what seventy or seventy one. Yep. Is right. is pretty rompy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like a couple thieves getting into some action, getting getting drunk, going back home. Yeah, alcohol to... is sort of a main character. Absolutely. And so, knowing what you know about this guy's story at this point in time, I mean, he was an admitted alcoholic that had like taken steps to address it. Like, because the, the Fawford to me essay like was contemporary with this. He, right. He recognized <laughs> his own, his own issues within that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, given that he lived to a, a ripe old age, you know, it, I don't, I don't know. It, at least it didn't, um, it doesn't seem as though from the surface, you know, uh, macro level, it didn't 
crush his life. It didn't, you know. I mean, he was writing like this. This this story one uh, was an award winning story that was written sort of like after many of the prime Fawford and the Grey Master stories were written. Right, like this came out in seventy or seventy one, and was sort of tied into those classic Ace publications. But many of the stories, uh, actually all of them that we're going to talk about from here on out, are far before the date of this contemporary this story that we're talking about here yes so this was originally published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in 1970 and it subsequently won the 1970 nebula award and the uh, 1971 hugo award for best novella yeah and 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 it's crazy to think that the fawford gray master stories were written decades like they were a thing decades before this like that it, it, in terms of the Howardian Conan stories, like those were years, mm-hmm. like on the order of like the twenties to the early thirties, right? Like there wasn't, there wasn't the time for those heroes to percolate. Right. These, these heroes like, like steeped and percolated and lived a thousand lifetimes across like D and D games and, and various, uh, other like, avenues like within people's imaginations which is kind of cool to think about the differences between these two heroes that we'll talk about versus conan yeah it, it makes you wonder where conan would have gone if howard had survived yeah yeah you know? and gaming is so important so central to the fawford and the gray mouser stories actually from what i understand liber did not himself create the concept of uh fawford and the gray mouser but instead his buddy Henry Otto Fisher? Henry, uh, yeah, I have Harry, but I guess, yeah, Henry Otto Fisher. No, maybe you're right. Maybe it is Harry. Okay. He actually wrote a letter uh, to Liber with the name Fawford, Grey Mouser, Lackmar, without the N, the two wizards who we won't talk about for this story, Uh but we will later, Uh, and a whole lot of uh, Celtic myth influence in those those early sort of uh, brainstorming sessions. And they actually put together a, a war game kind of a, a, a based a, on this city of Lackmar that was never fully fleshed out later in the 70s. Uh, there was a war game called Lankmar, um, an officially licensed product. But like these these guys, Fisher and Liber, were just, I don't know, gaming was so instrumental in forming and forging the early days of Fawford and the Great Mouser. Uh, and I think that's really interesting and cool. Now. Um, I don't know much about Harry Otto Fisher, but I do know that some of the correspondence between uh, Liber and Fisher was sent from Fisher, who lived in Louisville, to Liber, wherever it was that he f- was at the time, because he moved around a lot. Yeah, Chicago, East Coast, West Coast. Yeah, New York City. Yeah. So I just think that is also really cool that Kentucky in some way shaped and formed uh, the early <laughs> development of Fawford and the Gray Mouser. Kentucky's a pretty sword and sorcery state, dude. It is. It is. I'm, I'm from the uh, the foggy hills in the east. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so anyway, I guess we've talked uh, enough about Liber and you know the 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 grander sort of uh, uh, mythos of Fawford and, and the Gray Mouser. Maybe it's time for us to get into the story discussion. Yeah, yeah. So this story is really pretty simple in in its mechanics. I mean, the plot is basically 
thieves are doing some thievy stuff. We're introduced <laughs> to our protagonist. We've got a big guy and a little guy. Uh, those two guys meet up. They become buddies. They go get drunk. They talk to their uh, their 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 lady friends. They end up going back and getting into some hijinks. And then we ultimately end with a with a downer note, sort of like love and loss theme. Like it's it's very much a set the stage kind of story. But the whole point is that this is a story that was written decades after many of the other like storied adventures that we have. Right. Like, yeah. And I think so that's are, an important thing to you, keep in mind here. Are you guys Fawford and the gray mouse are fans? Have you read through some of these before? Uh, so, so as far as me, so, so I'm going to be reading, and I guess this is a good point to talk about the, the books and the story structure. So, I uh, I have a copy of the the Three Swords, uh, or rather the Three of Swords and Swords Masters, which are collections of like the first three and the the, the next three novels. And so I've read through the Three of Swords, which we're jumping in with Ilmet and Lankmar, which is the back end of the Swords and Devil Devil Tree book, and then we're ultimately going to be jumping into the Swords Against Death book as the main structure within this season. Uh, but I have read at this point, the swords and devil tree book and the beginnings of the swords against death book. So I've read at least a couple hundred pages of these types of stories, but I have not gotten much deeper into the season beyond like what we would do in season two or season three. Josh, my main exposure to Fawford and the gray mouser comes from the, uh, Howard Chaikin, Mike Mignola, um, Al Williamson graphic novel, which I guess originally was a, a maxi series, maybe like a six part um, right. series that, that was collected into a, a trade paperback. And so I've read those, but I really haven't read all that much in terms of Fawford and the gray mouse or beyond Ilmed and Linkmar. I'm a complete neophyte. So it's kind of interesting for me to be reading one of the newer stories that in the tale itself is the oldest story. I was just kind of curious where you guys are coming at from. So you had never encountered any of the, uh, the dark horse stuff. No, I've never gone through that. Awesome. Cool. It's a little bit inside baseball. Do you, but do you have a copy of it, John? Do I have a copy of the, the dark horse the, collection? I I do not. I think okay. I got one of you guys a copy of it for you Christmas did. a few years ago. I gave my yeah. copy to my cousin and then ah. you gave me a copy. Ah, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was nice. But no, I, I didn't read through it before I gifted it to Josh. Oh, man. So this is, so we have, like at this point, it's it's worth stating. So for this episode and next episode, we'll be talking about Ilmet and Lankmore, which is really the, the, the high point, the high watermark of book one within the classic, like, Wofford Grey Mouser, like, six book series. Uh, book two though is really where the, the, the meat and potatoes start. And so it's a okay. series of short stories and that's going to form the basis of everything that we talk about from next week onward or from, from next episode onward, I should say. Uh, so, so we'll try to touch base with the dark horse comics collections as we go along. Like that's our intention. And there's, there's certainly a lot of the stories that we'll be covering that are dark horse comics like content uh, but the the core book that we're going to be relying upon here is the uh, the Swords Against Death book. 
uh, as the, the, the sort of like focal, like, like uh key log linchpin bit of the, of the season. So go out and buy it on Amazon it's, before the next episode. It's pretty cheap. I mean, you can get it uh, digitally for, you know, some number of dollars, but I think it's like six ninety nine. Yeah, it's not yeah. much. And you can you can find that that beater book like from from a books or wherever for like four or five bucks. So, you know, go to half price, poke around, like get online. You can get it for for cheapies. Uh, maybe not necessarily the best quality, but the quality that, <laughs> that these types of books are best represented, right? Like the beat up sort of yeah uh, copies the it's spine cool. has got creases in it and the pages yeah. smell like the last guy that read it yeah like my my uh my uh the three of swords books like i took the scotch tape and sort of like put the put the <laughs> the the paper like the the book cover together just to keep it together which is i think the the proper way it's not the quality you deserve <laughs> but it's the quality you need right now man all right, let's get into the story. We keep talking around it, but I mean, there, <laughs> let's dig in. I'm going to open a Guinness. Yeah, yeah, do it, do it, do it. Oh, yeah, carbonate. Oh, he's fizzing and fuzzing. It's not carbon. So, Josh, that sort of oh, noise you'd be glass. heard okay. on the streets of Lankmar late at night, which is where we open up at. That's right. Yeah, this is a common sound in the the taverns and John, bars of Lankmar. <laughs> top off your uh, your wild jerky. Oh, uh, yes, sir. Right away, sir. <laughs> Old Overholt's gonna. Like to the to the brim? You want oh. me to have a whole glass, like four fingers of whiskey? I don't I don't know I don't know how that's gonna play out in Nebraska. You gotta t- <laughs> I don't know if well, Gary's gonna appreciate that. <laughs> so before well, yeah, bef- before we get into the story, we should we should note that Luke tonight is using a butterfly knife. You can probably hear it slinging around in the background. He's using that to stir his uh, old fashions that he's mixing up. His ride. These guild, these guild official butterfly knives. <laughs> That's right. I, I think I won it maybe at the county fair. It sounds everybody gets their butterfly knife from the county fair. If that, I didn't, or a truck it, stop, <laughs> either at the county fair or uh, flea market. Uh, no, uh, 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 a gun show. Okay. In, in Arkansas, <laughs> circa two thousand and well ninety eight to two thousand and two, somewhere okay. in there. Like, I mean, rest assured, Clinton was going to put together the Brady Bill and take your guns away, or or. You know, people were going to come and try to take your guns away. Right. So you got to buy a knife. You got. So you what? You because <laughs> they do, can't take that. You got to have a butterfly knife so that you can like, right shank the man. He'll never see it coming. I do love that the trophies of our fantasy stories are now the things that you buy at <laughs> county fairs at, at the like right. two fingered guys booth, the yeah. big axes and the yep. big swords and stuff. That's yeah. right. You okay there? Still got all your fingers? I got it's it. Good. I mean, it's right. pretty dull. It's under control. It's, I'm using it to stir up mixture. He's so a, that gives you an idea. It, he's a it professional. It's pretty dull, but he's also pretty full of liquor. <laughs> no, no, no. 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 It's, his his it's, liquor titer is pretty low at this point. We, yeah. Not as high as what ends up being in Fawford and the Grey Mountains. Well, it, blood. It's good, so, good uh, transition. So Thank let's you. set the stage. So we've got two characters that we want to talk about. Is it uh, Fisif and Slevius? Yes. Yeah, so we'll start with those two dudes. What are they doing? They're thief guilds, uh, they're thieves thieving. guild members. They've been thieving. They're snaky people. And they, as their names imply, they just left the jeweler. Right. Is is what we are told. But yep. but like many things in this story, uh, Liber doesn't really come out and tell us that. You know, it's worded in such a way. It's pretty oblique, right? Yes. And they're so, on the job, though. 
well, I need to find, I should have like jotted this down because I knew this was something I, I wanted to say. Okay. Yeah. So, um, this is on the first page, even tall, tight lipped Slevius, master thief candidate and fat darting eyed Fissif thief, second class breveted first class for this operation with a rating of talented in double dealing were not in the least worried. Everything was proceeding according to plan. Each carried thonged in his pouch, a much smaller pouch of jewels of the first water only. For Jin Gao, now breathing stentoriously inside and senseless from the slugging he had suffered, must be allowed, nay, nursed and encouraged, to build up his business again and so ripen it for another plucking. Almost the first law of the Thieves' Guild was never kill the hen that laid brown eggs with a ruby in the yolk or white eggs with a diamond in the white. That is Liberian writing, like <laughs> yes. to a T right there. There's commas galore, and it's, it is up to you to like want to just... Like, like, ring the last bit of meaning out of those words. Well, it's it's kind of like Lankmar itself, right? Like, it's just this labyrinthian sort Ooh. of sort of meandering uh, uh, alleyways and streets, and you you have to navigate it That's, in order to find the the true meaning of the words. Right? It's very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, what did you think as far as like just the writing style of this versus like coming off of the boxing stories? <laughs> Uh, so this reminded me a lot of William Faulkner. I don't know if you two are, are into the Southern Gothic William Faulkner stuff, but I tried and tried when I was in high school to get into Faulkner. And this was the stuff that kind of kept me away was page long paragraphs and lots of commas and stuff. So coming off of Howard, this is very different. Whereas we had an economy of words before now we are in verbosity. And we are in the flowing prose of a poet, master, writer kind of guy. So I like it, but it's definitely a gear shift for me. And it's, I mean, Liber is a is a craftsman. I mean, I mean, Howard's a craftsman, and we've talked at length about him. But this this season is very much about Liber, so we're going to focus on, <laughs> on his talents here. But like, so so just as a contrast, so within this the second third paragraph, if you will, of the, of the story. He says, uh, two different sentences here that I want to compare and contrast. He says, everything was proceeding according to plan. That's a very straightforward sentence to interpret, right? But then he says, each carried thonged in his pocket, a much smaller pouch of jewels of the first water for only Jingao now breathing stertoriously, whatever the hell that means inside and senseless from the slugging. He suffered must be allowed and they nursed and managed to build up his business again, so ripened it for another plucking. There's like five or six commas within that second <laughs> sentence. And so it sets forward a very clear meaning in the first sentence, but then you're lost. And that Josh, like your comparison to a labyrinth is 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 spot on. Like the way that he writes is it's it's in it's in it's, in, it's intentional to, yeah, to try imagine to imagine if lose you set this into a scientific journal. Yeah, <laughs> it would get kicked back. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, the first time that I read through this, I wasn't really sure that they had stolen this guy's jewels, and I had to reread the paragraph again. And then I was, then I was sure. Okay, now I know that these guys have busted in. They've taken most of the the best jewels. They've left some. They beat this guy up, but they didn't kill him. And now he's going to you know, build his business back up. So they didn't take it all. They had to leave some, you gotta, you gotta prime the pump. 
some intention. I bet they own the insurance that he has as well. I invented that saying just now, by the way. <laughs> you priming the pump? Yeah. No one said that before. <laughs> you got to do it. With the- <laughs> so there's there's layers to this story. So so we've got a couple different. We've got a we've got a fat like thief a and a less fat thief. One's a one's a greater level. One's a lesser level. You get very much. It it drops you into D and D think. Like as a, as a D and D player, you readily recognize. <laughs> breveted first class for this operation with a rating <laughs> of talented and double dealing. It's almost as if, as if he's got skill levels in 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 these various situations. Yeah, his plus five is in uh you know <laughs> fast talking and recognizing when he's got a rube versus yeah. you know. This is in nineteen seventy one. This is cra- it's crazy. Like it's setting the stage for that kind of thinking within a, a, a genre setting but even more like the the whole thieves guild notion like i don't I, I kind of take that for granted you know playing elder scrolls games like like skyrim and and uh morrowind they're thieves guilds they're assassins guilds they're beggars guilds you know uh all of that stuff i think kind of finds its origin here in lankmar which is pretty neat. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at the Conan stories and you have you have worlds but you don't necessarily have explicit statements about these these uh sort of like worker class workaday uh uh dark dark alley uh 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 like guys that are Union? pushing the action along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've organized. It's just pretty cool to me. Did it remind you of Skyrim at all, Josh? Uh, I've never played through the Thieves Guild quests in Skyrim, so uh, but just the fact that that there are these you know big cities in Skyrim where you can sort of you know if you don't look at the map screen and just try to navigate by memory, it can get pretty confusing and and you can twist back on where you just were and and that sort of thing so i think i think there's a lot of ideas and influence on the elder scrolls in this Uh, and maybe even yeah i've only read this story but so far this seems more influential in terms of of elder scrolls than the conan stories to me Right on. Yeah, I mean, you think about like the uh, well, it's a little bit ahead of the story where we're at here, but like the social structure that's laid out within the city, that is a very contemporary fantasy thing. Like, like Tolkien doesn't do that. Tolkien talks about the layout of Minas Tirith in terms of like the walls of the city, sure, and like the you know the the the, the men of Gondor that are the the, la- the the line of like the the high the high men ruling the the city and then everybody else, but there's not attention paid to the social structure, the caste system that's laid out there. This is different. Like this is very much attention towards who's who's got their hands on the purse strings, right? Like we're gonna get into that with with Fawford and the Mouser uh, visiting with the, you know, the, 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 
like it's the Thieve King, like like Krobos. Like like they're going to be talking to the dude that's that's behind the curtain running shit. Like he's the godfather. <laughs> you know? Right. And everybody knows it. Uh it's just it's interesting because this is something that's permeating contemporary fantasy. Like if you look at the Scott Lynch like uh lies of Loch Lamora stories like that. This is, this is that world. Like this is very much a thieves world. It's a thieves, you know, it's, it's, it's that story being told in like a very rich setting, but it all starts here. And at the same time, you know, the fact that Fawford is this barbarian from the North. Um, and you know, he is a thief. Mm hmm the the howard influence is definitely there yeah and the and the mouser is the 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 swarthy like what would traditionally be the antagonist from the from the stygian coast right like from the the stygian lands like it's 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 beautiful how you get this melding of the the good and the bad into this gray area as like your your protagonists yeah it's way cool um so <laughs> this is going to be a labyrinthine season like, as far be. as us talking about this. <laughs> um, so we've got these thieves guild guys. They've stolen some jewels and they're, they're walking down the street and they've got some, uh, some goons with them, right? Like kind of leading the way there are a few hundred feet ahead. And right. there's also this rat weasel thing that's with them. Right. A familiar of Hristamilio. How do we say it? Yeah. Ristamillo. I said R- Ristamillo, but Ristamillo? I, I don't know if that's the I right pronunciation. I think it's the best. Okay. And as they're walking down the the streets, like they're walking down Cash, right? Cash Street. Seems that way. They're and, going right. towards Cheap Street. And they notice that there's a, a spot where there are these porticos and there are these statues. And one of the statues... I, I don't remember that one when we walk past. Yeah. That one seems out of place. And, you know, the, the two thieves, Fisif and Slevius, look at one another and uh, they they continue on. And then one of the statues winks at Fisif. <laughs> and he, he Fisif is just like, oh, crap. Hey! And, and suddenly these two statues at the same time spring to life. And it's these two guys, a short guy and a big guy. And they're they're jumping down toward the two thieves that have stolen the jewels. Yeah. Death and mayhem, basically. <laughs> Come bonk, down. Bonk. Yep. Bonk, bonk. This is the first meeting chronologically in, in story terms of... Fawford and the Grey Mouser. Yeah, they they make some reference that they've met previously, but the oh, way that's true. that this yeah. story is written, this is kind of like the first official meeting. So, so a bit of backstory. So, within this this collection, which is the Swords Against Deviltry collection, if you're reading that, previous to this, you have the Snow Women, which sets the stage for Fawford and his his love interest. And then you also have the unholy grail, which was written, uh, at a, at a more recent period of time. So the snow women and Ilmet and Lankmar were both written within relatively close points in time. But the own, the unholy grail was written as a more contemporary companion piece. But those two are like the prologues to the prologue. And so what we're getting here is the, uh, 
the sort of first official meeting in the union between Fawford and Mouser. And I like the way that they meet because you can tell immediately that they are both flexible enough to just kind of roll with the situation. Yeah. So Fawford says, our motives for being here seem identical. And Mouser <laughs> says, seem surely must be. And so they decide, okay, we don't have to fight one another. I like the comment that Fawford makes. He says, uh, how civilized of you. <laughs> they are kind of sparring with words. Oh, yeah. But you can tell immediately that they like one another. They're, they're supposed to like one another. They're buddies. The whole like, oh, we're going to split things. 60-60. 60-60. Jokey-jokey. Like that just lays the, lays the, the, the pipeline for how the story is going to play out at this point. Like... There's going to be a bit of, of levity and brevity introduced to the story as we're, we're getting this sort of like dark uh, uh, thieves against thieves story playing out. I don't know about brevity. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, at least in terms of their delivery. Yeah, like, their lines. Like levity, yes. yeah. yeah. Like it's all short. It's all short and punchy with their dialogue. But you're right. Like with Liber's delivery, it's not it's not brief. Well, well, but you have a point like their dialogue and their lines that they deliver to one another are pretty short. Yeah. So what happens next, John? They have to fight off some bravos that come to, to take them out. The rest of the thieving party that was involved with this heist for the evening and their first two guys, they knocked out these guys. They, they shank to death. That's right. How does, how did you feel about that combat scene? Uh, it's good. I mean, uh, I liked it. There's the mouser or the gray mouser is obviously, uh, is he, would you say he's kind of like a romantic swordsman? Yeah. Is yeah. That fair to say. Uh, he, so. he definitely takes his pride in his swordsmanship and in the pierces that he makes. He's a water dancer in, in, yeah. in, in, in Martin esque terms, right? Like he's got that bravo sort of flair, right? Yeah. Or, or he's Errol Flynn. Like he's a, yeah, he's yeah, a fencer. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. uh, he's a combination of, of a lot of different yeah. things. And he forms the basis of, as you pointed yeah, out, yeah. the water dancers and the, the character that Arya Stark eventually, sort of becomes right yeah whereas fawford is much more straightforward with it <laughs> a hack a slash right yeah. he gets him he gets him <laughs> so he's got a couple so, of swords though right that's like, right yeah 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 and they they both end up being a little romantic about the whole thing later on when we get to the the meetup in the the apartments we find some of that that Fawford isn't quite as straightforward as he seems right here, but in the moment, the mouser is definitely much more of a like pin cushion kind of guy. He wants to stab him and make it look nice. Whereas Fawford is much more like I'm big, you small, I'm gonna make you hurt. Squish, <laughs> squish, squish. <laughs> so there's one, I like that Fawford is like a, a was he a New Jersey like monster? Yeah, he's like, it's no big deal. I'm just going to kill you. All right. Real fast. Oh, we got, we got Russian. Yeah. It sounds Russian. <laughs> I like it. I like this interaction between the two of them because, uh, there's, I, is it around here where we, they sort of talk about Fawford. He never felt comfortable around short men uh-huh. and, and the gray mouser. He obviously sort of used tall people as dullards usually. Is this, are we at that point already? Um, 
Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. do. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I mean, they're both like sizing each other up and realizing right. that they're more than what uh, 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 their archetypes would like right. rely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. I, I definitely hit on that because as a tall person, I have felt that feeling before of being around short people. They want to fight you a lot. <laughs> they like it's that prison mentality of I got to take out the big guy and then everybody will know how cool I am. And I'm a pacifist, so I'm not interested in it. <laughs> but uh, a pacifist I, 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 talking a, about sword and sorcery, though. That's right. <laughs> I, I identified with that a lot with Fawford. <laughs> I think I'm going to identify with Fawford a lot. I think you are the Fawford here. Abs- absolutely. Um, <laughs> so one detail that we glossed over is that there was this ferret, like rat, like marmoset. But isn't that a small tropical monkey? It's a amphibian rodent. It's it's definitely some type of mustelid. It was a chicken dog. Uh, <laughs> uh, so as um, Fisif and Slevius were being um, attacked and, and incapacitated, they were shouting for Slivikin. Slivikin! And Mouser makes the mistake that one of these guys must be Slivikin. And he says to Fawford, what, you know, why don't you loot Slivikin there? Right. Right. So just so we know. Slivikin is not here. Slivikin is not here. Yes. This is, this is a glaring mistake that these two are making. <laughs> it is a D and D module. Like yes. The way the story plays out is very much. A D&D adventure that if if you've played D&D for any length of time, this is what happens. You loot the bodies. There's confusion about names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it happens. Um, <laughs> they also, as they're walking away, sort of make the connect or not really the connection, but they they Fawford is commenting on Gray Mouser's name. And what is a Mouser, Luke? Uh, a mouser is someone that that hunts the mouse, right? Like yeah. so. So in like classic terms, it's a barn cat, right? Like yeah. it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a felid carnivore that's out there getting the the small prey. Got me one of them barn cats. Yeah, it's a tom cat. He's he's a good mouser. It's on and this it's gray, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a gray cat. It's it's a pole cat. It's a wonder about like a like long lanky cat that's that's. It's it's keeping the mice out of the corn, yeah. out of the grain. Yeah, you only get to pet it when it's ready for it, though. That, yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. really. Yeah, you don't really because it'll stra- scratch you. Um, so Fawford says, "Well, you killed yourself a couple rats tonight." And in the first read through of the story, I didn't really notice that, but that's that's gonna come back. Uh huh. This notion of rats foreshadowing. And, yes, yeah, and I thought yeah. that was, but it's it's subtle, and you don't get it the first time, and then when you read it again, you're like, oh no! Like, uh-huh. if only you knew what was going to happen, you wouldn't say <laughs> it's, that. It's it's pretty dire. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah. So we go pick up some wine, right, John? Lots of wine at the, at wine. the 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 colored animal inn, right? Yeah, golden lamprey <laughs> <laughs> or the silver eel, right? Like like these, it it is so much the D and D tropes. It hurts, but this gets at the point that this is the 
this is the linchpin for much of the Gygaxian like like D D. We're at the liquor store on the corner of Cash and Whore. <laughs> I'll be honest, the the way that the streets are referred to, I don't find them off putting. I find them a little bit like cheap, like but to like right. be be a bit too smug. Like they are very on the nose, and I feel like there could be some slightly off the nose terms for streets that could be used yeah so so cheap street i dig uh but <laughs> horse horse street is too <laughs> too pimp, uh but too pimp, much. pimp street and horse street and like <laughs> i mean there's 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 a slew of other terms like it works i i get it there's got to be a lot of streets i guess that's the that's the <laughs> point there's a lot of streets so there's got to be a lot of names Right. Look, we ran out of presidents a long time ago, Luke. Uh, so we had to move on. Gold Street, Silver Street, Copper Street, Broad Street. And, yeah, it makes sense in in a very kind of simplistic way. Um, so we're gonna we, go meet the ladies, right, Josh? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna go pick up Fawford's lady. Her name is Volana, and Fawford introduces her to gray mouser uh he's very gallant he's very elegant he bows he kisses her hand he treats her like uh, a lady of the nobility right yeah um and Vilana, if you've if you've read the previous stories and if you've done your previous like homework maybe you have that is like we're introduced to her within this the snow women i think okay yeah yeah so there's a precedence at least for her and like the reason for why her and fawford are here in lake mar and some of that is alluded to right like yeah. he was trying to escape the the matriarchal kind of uh overbearingness of his mother and yep. and he's got a wife too right like or, or at least somebody who he there's an arranged marriage that he doesn't want to yeah. So if we were if we were uh, you know inclined to go deeper, <laughs> like very much, the the Snow Women could be a cool case study couple episode story to cover in and of itself, and maybe we'll come back to it. But yeah, there's some cool feminist uh, 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 items within that, and we get that sort of bubbling up within the story. What we find out also here is Vlana has some sort of vendetta against the Thieves Guild. Yeah. She just won't leave well enough alone. Right. Uh, and she gives Fawford up one side and down the other for not slashing the throats of these Thieves Guild members, right? Like, And you have to wonder, would the story have played out like it did if they had? These These two women, I think are central to the Fawford Grey Mouser trajectory, at least through the season that we're talking about here. And maybe, maybe, maybe throughout like multiple books and, and stories that we're not going to cover. Yeah. But they are principal drivers of like the, what's the right word? Like the, uh, the sort of like, uh, like put together sort of like, mashup story that Liber puts into place for the second story with the circle curse. Mm -hmm. It kind of sets the stage that these guys escape the city because spoilers ahead. Like these, these two, these two women are lost to the guys and it drives the story forward. So, 
So those two women become touchstones for the rest of the, the, the stories that play out in the second book. Okay. So let's meet, we said Ivrain. Is that how we're going to say her name? I think that's good. Okay. I, I think that's the, uh, it seems at least the most like readily recognizable pronunciation. Okay. Do you agree, John? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's meet her. So we, and then, and then let's talk about the, the way the women are presented in the story. Yeah. Yeah. So with, uh, Valana in tow, we pick up a little bit more wine and we go to dim lane jugs of wine. Right. Um, cause you can't have enough juice. You never have enough juice. <laughs> juice it. And so Where's my Hennessy. <laughs> one one cool thing here is this uh, this notion that Dim Lane is called such because it's always kind of foggy and smoggy after dark, right? And I think uh, Valana points out, you know, she says this is this is damned Lankmar's night smog. Like this is a, a thermal inversion to go into really dorky environmental science terms. Like this is what caused uh, this, the, the great smoke in London. Like this is what the, the phenomenon that causes uh, LA sometimes to be smoggy. I just, I don't know. It's, it's so neat. It's such a throwaway thing, but you know, the, it, it does get smoggy, smoggier at night and it's due to these, temperature inversions and well it sets up the uh it sets up lankmar as like the tertiary character in the room right yeah we're gonna we'll get into that like as the characters leave and return to lankmar but this city in and of itself is a uh is a labyrinthine devilish place to be and in and of itself it's like i can't help but think about like uh like any number of like United States, like urban centers in the eighties, like New York city or something like, like that Cleveland. That's like, yeah. Like <laughs> Cleveland or Chicago, like any number of like just down and dirty cities at that height of like adventures and babysitting where the guys and gals get on the, the wrong side of the tracks and they end up where somewhere where they're not supposed to be. Yeah. Like that's where we're at. The entire time that they're in Lankmar. So we now kind of go up to this shabby apartment, right? At least shabby from the outside. But this is the the lair of the mouser. And this is where uh, his lady, Ivraine, lives. And they go inside. It is just plush, right? It's lavish. At least a facade of, of glowing, that. glowing, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's this... Uh, uh, this is my crib. Over here we got the rugs. <laughs> Over here we got the baubles, the but, bottles, but all the fun stuff. The jewels, the gems. Over here we got this nice couch, yo. You can sit down on it. <laughs> but it's the veneer of of plushness. Yeah, yeah. You see the, the cockroach scurrying across the, the room. There are the, holes in the wall. The smoke is coming in. The, the floor kind of shifts as they walk across it. And there are spots Particularly where they, with Fawford. Yeah, because he's a big dude. Yeah. Have you guys ever been in a in an apartment like this? Not exactly. I mean, I lived in an apartment where there were spots on the floor where you didn't really want to step because it felt soft. But I never felt in danger of like f- actually falling through. How about you? 
Yeah, I mean, I felt like the apartment that I used to live in, yeah, like my studio place was was this. By the end of it, like there was like mold that I could see on the ceiling, and it was just getting like not like uninhabitable. Just you didn't necessarily want to draw attention to shit that was on the walls, right? Yeah. But, so you put up a Led Zeppelin poster. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, I don't know, like the way that this apartment or this, <laughs> this, this abode is described, I very much know it like from my, from my, from my college days, like it yeah. is very appropriately described. Like there's a, there's a what's presented versus what's for realsies and the two don't necessarily mesh. And if you've if you know about the structural integrity of the building, it just doesn't doesn't meet those standards. Yeah, this this wouldn't hold up to yeah. an inspection. It's not the, code. Oh, <laughs> only one person can go up the steps at a time. Yeah, right. And if, yeah. if you're Fawford, just hold off, dude, because you're a big one. Um, <laughs> so Fawford says you're the <laughs> the rug robber, the carpet crimp, and the candle corsair too. He's not one of the wet. <laughs> he's not one of the wet bandits, <laughs> dude. So so so, what's the story with uh with the mouser here, John? He's he's a master thief. He he steals <laughs> it all. He's a kleptomaniac. He's got to buy. He's got to get all this stuff because he can't buy it. His lady is royalty. Her dad was a duke, but he was also a bit of a dick. And uh, that's the name had, of the episode, <laughs> Duke Dick, Duke, Duke, but a dick. <laughs> and uh, he saved her from him in his mind, I guess. So he has to provide for her all the ornamentation that she is used to. But as the story sort of points out, he he went on an adventure with this woman, but has also sort of clipped her adventurous wings and turned her into a bit of a a uh, mousy creature like somebody who's afraid of of stuff she she's a homebody right yeah she, she yeah. doesn't necessarily want to be a homebody no. like he's not keeping her prisoner but he is enabling this behavior right and almost encouraging it right it right. plays on his romantic notions perhaps i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into this half of a story that is the only exposure i have to this character but I would assume he he enjoys that the dependency of this woman upon him for well, I, all the firmaments of life. Well, so so I'm sorry. No, 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 go okay. ahead. Yeah, I mean, so early on, Fawford Mouser crews up into the joint. They both like drop their 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 jugs of wine. They settle in. They've got their their you know their lady friends. They're wanting to make the introductions. They're big tough dudes. And there's a point at which they're stripped bare, and they are like. Not necessarily adolescent, but they're young people and they are exposed to one another for kind of what they are. Like they're not necessarily like shams or 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 like like lying about who they are. They're just not like they're not nearly as mature or sophisticated as they want to let on. Yeah, once they once they drop their their weapons and they drop their cloaks they also kind of drop the airs that they're putting on and, yeah. and the posturing that they're doing that we've, we've mentioned, but sort of glossed over a lot of it. Like they, they have been doing this kind of verbal sparring back and forth the whole way 
from the scene of the the ambush on the thieves mm-hmm. to this apartment. It's pretty masculine, right? Like, yeah. like there's, there's extra layers that we could read into that. But the bottom line is, they killed people, and they're they're being all tough, and they're they're rocking up to the house, and they're pretty vulnerable with one another once they strip away their you know their weapons. Yeah, that's the pretty carpet cool. crimp is just a kid, yeah. right? <laughs> and and Fawford himself is not, you know, uh, he's not a, you know, grown man. Right. He's 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 big, but he's still kind of in his youth. Yeah. He's yeah. growing into it. Right. And I and like I like that. Like, I don't know. I was thinking about the first time we met Conan, and he's an old king with scars and with stories and and. Uh-huh. Fawford and the Grey Mouse are here. They have only just begun their their tale, their journey. And, and this is this is kind of. I mean, I can't totally remember the way that like Tower of the Elephant plays out, but it's almost that. Yes. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like renegade thieving Conan type story. Yeah, and the the Tower of the Elephant itself could be in Lankmar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. If I remember correctly, how that city was portrayed. But yeah, definitely that right out of the hills, Conan, and just getting started kind of vibe. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. neat. So, if Rain is royalty, right, and right. she and uh, Valana kind of hit it off just right out the gate, right? Mm-hmm. Valana is not necessarily bowing or being submissive, but it certainly is acting in the role of a handmaiden kind of a, kind of a way. Wouldn't you yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, And they, they hit it off great. And that makes both Fawford and Mouser super happy. And so they, right. they dig into the wine uh, they're having a party. Everything's going great. They have what, like four jugs. They were spreading across the room. <laughs> drinks about it's all fortified it ain't no like just straight wine it's mad dog 2020 <laughs> <laughs> and they they toast one another some yeah. some really great uh it says fofford quaffed off half of his then toasted back to the most boastful and finical little civilized chap i've ever deigned to share loot with quaff the rest and with a great smile that showed white teeth held out his empty mug and and they're just they're buds already. Yeah, like yep. this is uh, predetermined in a way. Quick friends. Yeah. Kind of like we three. That's right. They're drinking. They're having a fun time and they're out of drinks. So Fawford and the gray mouse are, they're like, Hey, so here's the plan. We're going to like leave. We're going to go and we're going to get more to drink. And used to are going to stay here gonna and it'll be great. Stuff. And Ivrain and uh, Valana. Valana has to explain that like every time there's a drunken party, the men have to go somewhere on a quest to fetch more things. I don't remember this at Luke's bachelor party. It, I don't it, remember a group of us leaving and getting stuff and bringing it back, but it seems maybe like it's a thing. <laughs> but while they're, they go, the, the two of them are going to become even closer friends. And, and the Mouser and Fawford are going to go get more to drink. At the bar downstairs. Yeah. Right? So, so they will advance the plot along, and the right. 
<laughs> and Fawford and Mouser will go down to the bar. Right. That's the way this plays plays out. And while they're there, the guy that's getting the jugs, he's like a kid. He's really slow. And there's a quick-witted thing about, uh, hey, where are my jugs? Rats eating the boy who went for them days ago? Or he simply starved to death while on his cellar quest? Oh. Tell him to get a swifter move on. And meanwhile, Brimus again, they're drinking at the bar while waiting for their to-go cups, to-go jugs of liquor. And they're also and, discussing the night's activities besides the fun that they've been having, the heist that they performed. Right. And it seems that Fawford has some misgivings about the name that they heard and the thing that they saw. Right, Josh? Well, um, we know that uh, from, I think, uh, Volana and maybe from Ivrain, like we get some exposition about the Thieves Guild. And we learn that Krovos is the uh, the master thief. Like he's the, the, the king of thieves in Lankmar and he runs the thieves guild. And we also kind of learn that these thieves will employ people who, you know, partake in the mystic arts. You're saying gray wand. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so swords and sorcery. So the swords are the plus sign, uh-huh. and the sorcery is the negative sign. That's, That's what right. I'm picking up. Like good and bad, we've got a distinction there. And it's interesting because Mouser wields a sword, but he also was a wizard's apprentice at Ooh, some point, right? He was an adept. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so go ahead. He's he's just dabbling in that that not just gray, but like. The, the, the murkier depths of what we're laying here. And I don't think we're completely clear at this point what his capabilities actually are. Like, he's not the Sorcerer Supreme. Oh, he's fronting. <laughs> but he... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, the way that is presented here, like, within this story, he is just, just like, putting, putting uh, his... His skills? Yeah, his skills and his like his identity on the line, but he's he does he is not tested. Yeah, he can't barter with Dormammu. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, yeah, yeah. But he could probably pop open a lock. He could probably cloak himself in the shadows. Like he could probably muffle his own his own like footsteps. It makes those you sorts of things. Think that it's magical. Air quotes. Think like this magical, but yeah. is it really? Well, yeah, he can dance really well. Yes, but is it magic? <laughs> he can play Wonderwall, just like the galaxy. Is it brothers. magic? <laughs> is it magic? I don't know. Um, is it really? So the the guys step out to refresh the wine, and the the ladies are back in the uh, apartment. Uh, sort of. They, I don't think all the wine is completely gone. Like they fin, they polish it off right while the guys are gone. Right, they still had some in a jug. Yeah, and while they're at the bar, Fawford and the Gray Mouser have this debate about if there was a talking furry thing that could go back and convey to the Thieves Guild who they are. And the mo- the Mouser has some fun with Fawford on this, like, oh, maybe it can dip its paw in some ink and draw our faces or write our names. But there, there does come a point where Fawford says, well, maybe it's an animal that can tell them where we are. Like it followed us 
and it knows we're here. So what are we going to do about that? And the solution is to buy a bunch of, or a bucket of small beer. So not the large or extra large, the kids meal size. (laughs) And they're going to pour that around outside and that's going to mask their scent around enough around the eel that whatever possible monster they're afraid of can't find them. I had a question about the small beer. Is is it actually referring to the size of the beer? Right. Or is is it, the beer small or is beer is there large beer and small beer? Well, I wondered if that was like like brewer's beer. Like, you know, the right. the, yeah. the yeasty kind of uh, stinky. Oh, here uh, we go. A small beer is a beer or ale that contains very little alcohol, typically only 0.75%. Okay. Sometimes it is unfiltered and porridge-like. It was a favored drink in medieval Europe and colonial North America. Where are you pulling that from? Uh, It's a little source that I like to call Wikipedia. Oh, okay. So so, so that, like, small beer is a term. Okay. It is. And it refers to the alcohol content of the beer. Apparently, George Washington had a really famous small beer recipe. Oh. I mean, it was. According to the Home Brewers Association. I bet he had some really clever small beer jokes, too. (laughs) I'm sure he did. That he told through his sheep's teeth. (laughs) But they get the small beer, pour it on the ground. They're masking their scent. It's like when you go hunting and stuff. And they go back upstairs to find their ladies deep. And excited talk. Oh, they, and, and they, they are better friends than they were when they left. Perhaps not a good sign for our two protagonists. And deep in their cups, right? Like yes. they, they've been drinking the whole time. They found an extra bottle, right? I Something think so. Like that. Yeah, they, shot, they dug shot, around shot, and found shot, some. Shot, 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 shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they have been talking and, uh, Ivrain is very concerned because Valana gives her the lowdown on her hatred of the Thieves Guild, and they demand that Fawford and the Grey Mouser go find these Thieves Guild members that they let live and kill them. Take them out. <laughs> Take them out. <laughs> and they try to explain. What are you like, doing? Okay, You're a hero. Like we could do that, or we could live a pretty good life and not die. <laughs> And not get chased out of the city, which would be bad. And I think she calls it a merchant's revenge. Like, you're just, you're taking away their money over time. That's not really honor. It doesn't play into her notion of gallantry or or the traditional code of honor that she's used to. And she just keeps pushing them and pushing them on this. And eventually calls them cowards to their face. That's right. Which, obviously, that's a bridge too far for them. Yeah, Ivrana, or sorry, uh, Ivrian. I just combined their names. Ivrain. Ivrain says, you know, you, Mouser, killed, you killed my father and had no qualms about it, but you let these Thieves Guild members live. Like, you're cowards. I mean, they were, he was a duke who was a dick. These guys <laughs> are like. It's working dudes. These are dicks, dudes. That are dicks, dicks that are just like everyday dudes. That thief. I, I was trying to think of it. Cowards. Your poltroons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poltroons. <laughs> Puts it down them. Not and holding Fawford, water. Fawford can't take it. I am not a coward. <laughs> I will dare the Thieves Guild and fetch you Crovis's head and toss it with a blood drip at Valana's feet. I swear that. I Witness did. me, Koss, God of the Dooms, <laughs> by the brown Witness of Maldron, 
my father and by his sword, Grey Wand here at my side. So like, <laughs> yeah, he's drunk. He reaches. Yeah. For, yeah. I like that he reaches for the sword and it's not there. And so right. he looks across the room to where it is and he <laughs> points at it and is like, buy that sword right over there. I'm going to have revenge for you. And Grey Mouse is like, nah, why not? <laughs> let's do it. Let's let's rock and roll here. Me and DC, Dirk's Claw, we're going to hang out here at the house. Finish this wine. No, I'm going to go. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I did not realize before we started talking about this and before we started getting a little bit drunk how uh, like masculine this story is. Like, it's basically a... Uh, a statement of like it's a it's a pissing contest followed by comments on said pissing contest and you can pee further and let's go and make sure we can pee further like the way that this story plays out is very much uh fofford and mouser like it's, it's a proving grounds like I, I don't know what i'm trying to say here you, it's it's a lot about you can't say that about me like I have done so much already for her that masculine idea of like I've already I've paid all these dues you can't say that about me and if this is what it's going to take for you to recognize the things that I have done in the past then I'm going to do it right now I don't care how drunk I am I and think that's right yeah he they they're going to go do it yeah and this this it sets off Ivrain and Velana they're like whoa. You don't have to do it tonight. <laughs> yeah, you can't. They say you can't go tonight. You're so drunk. You're yeah, drunk. you're really but, drunk. But uh, Mouser's like, you know, it just occurs to me that I've thought of a brilliant idea that we could put into place <laughs> and get into the Thieves Guild and just get our revenge tonight. Let's go. And if we're drunk. All that does is slow our sword arms and soften our blows, but it makes the brain ablaze and fires the imagination. Too Which right. is what they should put on the sides of bottle of wild turkey. That, that well, I think that's our new uh, podcast <laughs> catchphrase: <laughs> the brain ablaze. <laughs> the bourbon sets the brain ablaze, and uh, whatever else you just said fires the imagination. Fires the imagination. <laughs> but the, they promise all they're going to do is they're on a scouting mission. They're going to go. There's we're nothing gonna... you can say at this point that's going to stop us. We're going to go, and we're just going to like scout things out. We're just going to look around, have a look see. And uh, we're going to figure out how we're going to kill him in the future. That's all this is going to be. Yep. We're just going to reconnoiter the Thieves Guild. Yeah, no problem. But before we go, let's get more wine. Yeah, we're going to need more wine. So go back downstairs. Yep. To get more wine, right? Which is a funny moment where they, uh, the mouser says, how about we stop at the Silver Eel? And Foffer says, you mean and just tell the girls that we went to the Thieves Guild? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, we we need a stirrup cup. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. And the stirrup cup comment uh, exalts Foffer to uh, reveal that he has actually pilfered two bottles of wine for them both, one for each to drink on their way to the Thieves Guild. Whereupon their arrival, <laughs> what is their master plan to sneak inside, Luke? Oh, they're going to get really newfangled angled and they're going to take like... So, I appreciate Fawford. He has, you know, planned for adventure, but Mouser has like, you know, case in point, Bourbon and Barbarian's crew, you two, like, listen, like, the, the things that are in your backpack, he's got, 
you know, the dusky, like, like face paint, the, the grease paint to, like, like darken you up. He's got, like, bandages to make a sword. This dude is ready for whatever needs to be done. So, so he busts out some, some, like, white tape and, and makes canes and they put on an eye patch. And they are basically going to be, uh, uh, busting up into the field, the, the thieves guild as as beggars yeah yeah they're they're going to use some some guile and some theatrical uh accoutrements that yeah. mouser luckily has on him and <laughs> and they're gonna sneak in that way and and try and get some information at least about where krovos is because that's the quest now kill krovos cut off his head bring it back to Ivrain. Yeah. So Mouse. I liked this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Uh, I like this because the, the thieves guild is the union, right? And there's obviously chapters within it. There's like beggars 231 and straight up thieves. There's different classes of thief in the thief guild. And they're going to take advantage of the beggar one to get inside there. So the great mouser is blind in this setup. Whereas Fawford is he's one legged. Yeah, he yeah. he uh, folds up a leg beneath and behind him. They right. they wrap it up so it won't you know so he won't like stretch it out inadvertently and make it look like he's got a peg leg. And, a and they definitely think that they have they have That's stumbled right. upon a great idea and that they look very convincing. <laughs> but the doing? guards at the thieves guild let them know that that's not really the case. <laughs> And so that is now the quest. And is this a good place to to call it for the night? Yeah, I think so. So at this point, we have two drunken thieves busting up into the official thieves guild. Uninvited. Yeah, uninvited to prove themselves. Right. And and this this was initiated by uh, a night of drinking and some... Uh, male bravado yeah and some thievery right it's a good point yeah 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 because we're kind of at the halfway point right Mm -hmm. right yeah we're we're almost exactly in in my copy at least halfway through the story fred and mo have snuck in things are about to get real (laughs) things are about to take a turn yeah it's been happy-go-lucky so far so john yes sir as uh you know unfamiliar with the stories so far what are you thinking uh, it's wordy, but I like it. I, I have really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the tone. <laughs> I I like this interplay. As somebody who enjoys buddy cop movies and those sorts of stories in the cinema, this has spoken to me on a level that I enjoy. I also really like the Parker novels, which are heist novels and thief novels. And this is a very tidy blending of Robert E. Howard in those Westlake stories with the thieving and the planning and the and all that kind of stuff. And the male bravado is also a big part of it that I'm, that I'm kind of enjoying as well. So I'm, I'm into it. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for season six and I'm excited for it. Nice. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I love the back and forth between Mouser and Fawford. I love the dialogue. I, I love that the, the ladies, uh, Ivrain and Valana are kind of, they initiate the quest, but they are not the object of the quest necessarily. Right. Like the, the object of the quest is this 
it's foolish sort of pride, right? Like it's bravado. And at what the, revenge. Well, and at the heart of it is this poor judgment because of too much alcohol. And if they had left well enough alone, probably they would have gotten away with this. Right. But they did not. And some, some things are about to take a turn thus far. Lankmar Luke earlier, you mentioned that Lankmar is kind of uh, the third person in this, in this uh, trio. Like it's actually a character. Yeah. Thus far, it's, presence is very subtle but Liber is using this story as an opportunity to slowly kind of introduce Lankmar's features so you know that it's sprawling you know that its politics are askew you know that there's this thieves guild operating in the shadows and and they are actually kind of pulling the strings everywhere right um and I think as the story goes forward, we'll get an even better glimpse of that. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is a good place to to call it for the night. And thus far, I'm really enjoying not just the story, but the discussion of the story. Nice, man. I mean, it's it's good place setting here to stop things. Really, the the adventure for these two these two. Uh, heroes jumps off from this point right like what happens with this sort of like drunken night at the thieves guild sets the stage for for what plays out over the rest of the season yeah so i'm looking forward to diving into the fofford and the gray mouser stories nice I'm, i'm glad we're doing this so uh i guess we'll call it good for tonight i think that's good yeah 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 reconvene next week Yes. Dig into the the finale of the story and talk about the next one. Yes. All right. Well, everybody, you've been listening to the Chromecast, and you can find us on the web always at thechromecast.blogspot.com. You can find us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash thechromecast. We're on Twitter at thechromecast, and you can email us thechromecast at gmail.com. And you can call us 859-429-429. Crom. Leave us a voicemail. Let us know what you think of Lankmar and Fofford and the Grey Mouser and Liber. And let us know what literary figures inspire you for your D&D games. We'd like to know. Or if you've been to the Rocky Mountains. Or if you've been to the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> or whatever. What's on your appendix in? Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.
You went to the dentist? Did you get your teeth cleaned? I did, thank you, yes. I could tell. Because <laughs> it's so shiny. Yep, very shiny. <laughs>